Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today I welcome back to the show Dr. Rosie Ward to continue where we left off two months ago when she shared the five rehumanizing principles that we can leverage to transform workplaces, communities, and teams to be future-ready and restore hope, well-being, and performance. There's a quote that she has in her book that I just love, and it's, we need to do the messy work to show up as leaders in all areas of our lives, regardless of our title or or role. How true is that? So Dr. Rosie Ward, I I, I call her Rosie, I don't want to say the whole name, Dr. Rosie Ward focuses on transformation from the inside out, and her mission started over 20 years ago when she experienced firsthand the ill effects of working in a toxic work environment and found her well-being eroding. I think that's a common story. It happens to a lot of us. So since then, she has worked tirelessly to find a solution so that this experience is no longer the norm for her and the people that she works with, trains, coaches. So Rosie, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to have you here. Good to have you back. Thank you. It's great to be back. Well, we had such a great time last week, and we covered a lot of territory. I've got your book in front of me still. It's Listen, my entire office, I've got bookcases in here that every single book, and I'm proud of this, and I've said it on this show before, every single book in this room came from people like you. You know, you've been my guest, and I'm still reading this book, and I'm still highlighting. It's, you know, I don't know how toxic environments got to be kind of the norm but there you go so anyway i have the book rehumanizing the workplace future proofing your organization while restoring hope well-being and performance and i really recommend that a lot of people anybody listening you need this for your entrepreneurial and your business library so anyway before we get started tell us a bit about yourself that i might have missed and then let's just pick up where we left off Oh gosh, I feel like we covered so many so many bases last time. Um, let's see. I I live in Minneapolis with my husband and my son. Um, I have a podcast called Show Up as a Leader, which speaks to what you were just talking about. Um, yeah, I just I'm, I'm trying to challenge myself every day. I am trying to learn and grow and pass on what I'm learning and growing to others because I just think the one thing that I've become really really passionate about is just normalizing our humanity. And then, you know, unfortunately, yeah, like toxic workplaces are are the norm, but hopefully that won't be the case anymore. But also, you know, part of it is because we're workplaces made up of human beings. And as human beings, we get in our own way. And so I think the more that we can stop pretending that, you know, oh, nope, it's everybody else and not us. And we can start to own our own stuff and we can start to do the messy work. the the better off we're going to be and recognize that this is part of being human. It doesn't make us odd or weird or flawed. It's that this is the journey that we're on. And so we can lean in and, and, and do the work and, um, and find opportunities to call others to greatness at the same time, or we can, you know, shrink away and double down on our rightness and, um, 
and judgment. And so I, I choose the choice of, hey, let's be curious, let's learn, let's grow, let's do the messy work that helps us be better people and, you know, leave a better mark on this world. I know. And then there's the painful work. And listen, we've all had to learn this or we're, we're still trying to learn it. One of the most difficult things for a lot of people to say is, you know, I was wrong and I'm sorry. It's just so hard. I'm guilty. I mean, I've had to step back and say, well, Denise, what the heck did you just do? Now you have to go back and apologize. And that always makes your stomach hurt. But if you don't do it, you, you're now part of that toxicity. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that it's not just about apologizing, you know, because there's that, oh, crap, I did something bad and that that's, you know, doesn't feel so great. I think that one of the things that Brene Brown always talks about is being really aware of this critical distinction between guilt and shame, right? Guilt is like, oh, I did something crummy. I don't like how that turned out. That was like a, you know, a not cool thing to do or a dumb thing to do. But shame is that voice that turns into, ooh, I'm a bad person because I did that, right? And starting, and because then there's a whole host of, behaviors that follow a shame response versus a, ooh, I'm, a guilt response. And so I think we have to pay attention to this, the narratives we tell ourselves when we mess up. And then when we mess up and we go apologize, we have to truly clean it up. Like it's not just, oops, sorry, I did that. But it's, you know, I'm going to own my part and here's what I'm going to do to make it right. Or let's have a conversation. What would make this right for you? And I think that's a piece that's, that's missing. Like it's easy to go, oh, I'm sorry. But to truly be sorry means we have to then take ownership and we have to clean it up and we have to make it right. And I think that's where it can get uncomfortable, but I find that's where I grow, grow the most. And if you think about it, when somebody like think about, just take a, a simple example, like going to a store or a restaurant or something where, you know, you had a poor experience and when they authentically take steps to truly make it right, like you actually become even a bigger fan of that person. And I think sometimes we think it, people are going to think less than, but when we own up, um, you know, sometimes that can even strengthen relationships versus pretending something didn't happen or pretending something doesn't exist. And now it's like the big old elephant in the room. Right. And sometimes, and I noticed this, and I think it's really part of emotional equivalency, you know, being emotionally intelligent rather than having somebody say, Denise, what the hell did you just say to me? Most people don't because I'm scary, but the thing is, (laughs) mostly I'm scared. But the thing is, I tend to know, even though nothing was said or there was really no real indication that I might have really said something off-center or that kind of hurt their feelings, I know. You know, I can tell. I'm, I'm in tune to it, and I will have to go back and say, listen, I'm not sure what I was thinking, but... I may have said something just way off base, and and I do apologize. You know, let's talk about it so I can apologize. And most of them will say, oh, no. And this doesn't happen often, but when it happens, I know I did it is my point. But most people say, oh, no, you know, not to worry. Just the fact that I recognize that I might have been a little bit off, they appreciate that. Absolutely. You know, and it's interesting that we're having this conversation because I, I've had a couple of these conversations this week. Um, I'm leading a great group through Dare to, Dare to Lead and doing some other leadership workshops. And one of the conversations came up, we were talking about feedback and we're talking about conflict and talking about, you know, these challenging conversations that we, we have to have 
both personally and professionally. And someone was saying, you know, that one of the reasons why they shy away from conversations or shy away from feedback is, you know, not having a great reaction from from somebody else, right, and kind of owning their emotional reaction. And and the conversation we were having is, you know, who we are responsible for in any given conversation is who we're being. Like, are we truly being an open, caring, clear person, or do we have kind of crappy intentions? So we are responsible for who we're being, the intentions we set, how we show up in a conversation. We are also responsible for our delivery. Like, are we clear? Are we respectful, right? Or are we beating around the bush? Or are we really, you know, nasty, right? So there, there's that discernment. And then that's kind of where it ends. We cannot be responsible for the other person's reaction because we don't know what they're going through. The reaction may not actually be to us or the message. It could just be that that's just the thing that tipped them over the edge that day or whatever. Like we are responsible for our own reactions and behaviors. That being said, what I always say to people is, now, if your intentions truly were neutral or positive in your mind and you get some kind of defensive or judgmental or reaction, whatever it might be from somebody that seems to be misplaced or seems to be a mismatch, then we do have to tend to that. Like like you were just saying, go, you know, I want to check in because this was my intention and it seems like that's not what you heard. Like we don't pretend it didn't happen or go, what's wrong with them today? Because if there's truly that mismatch between our intention and our impact, we do need to check in and own that because maybe although we have the best intentions, our, our delivery actually came out clumsily and we need to own that and if they're like nope sorry i'm just having a a bad day but so so anyway i think it's an important distinction of that you know if there's a mismatch between a positive or neutral intention with the impact we seem to be having we do need to check in lean in and tend to it but if we know that we're going to be having a difficult conversation with somebody and we know that we are being as clear and as human as possible in the delivery of that message, we have to expect that we could get all kinds of emotional reactions. And then that's where we might say, hey, do you need a few minutes? I know this is hard to hear. If someone gets really riled up, we can say, hey, let's put this conversation on pause and circle back when you've had a moment to process. There's all kinds of ways we can um, deal with that. So anyway, that's that's kind of my add-on of, you know, when we when we feel like we something's come across not great or we haven't had that impact, we to tend to it. We have to own it. We do. And you know where things can really get crossways? Because you you can't nuance a text message or an email. People don't hear what you're saying. They don't hear maybe your voice is rising up an inflection or two because you're excited or you're passionate or your voice is lower because you're really ticked off about something. You just saw your ex-husband in the crosswalk and had to figure out which pedal you wanted to use. I mean, who knows what's going on <laughs> in your life? Seriously, welcome to my brain. It's a scary place. But, but the thing is, I mean, and you know, when we're talking, it's easy to get, you know, we're having a conversation, especially in a group or something, it could get easy enough to say, oh, you know, I'm going to have to go back and see if I really did make a mistake there. But I find that the biggest problems start with the written word and words are important and how you couch those words are very important. Oh, a hundred percent. And one of the things that I try to hold myself accountable to and that I advise all of my clients is that when we need to have an important conversation, when there might be some 
really important news or important feedback, or um, I always like to refer to it as growth feedback. I don't like calling things corrective feedback or um, negative feedback because it's all growth, right? So I look at when I need to have a growth feedback conversation with somebody, and it is a conversation, not a one-way delivery of a message. When I need to have a any kind of uh, difficult conversation or a really important conversation, could be about anything, there is no way that that is ever done in a written form because you need, it needs to, first of all, be a dialogue. And you're right, like text messages and emails are a one-way form of communication. A lot of meaning and story gets added into it because you don't have the context, you don't have the body language. And so what I always say is, if you can be in person, that is the best. If not, then it needs to be, I don't care if it's, you know, Zoom or Teams or FaceTime or Skype, but with the camera on, I don't care if, you know, what your hair looks like, because you need to see that body language. Um, and, and that's how those conversations need to happen. Now, if you need to follow up, because from a workplace standpoint or something else with like a documentation or just, hey, a recap, then a short email or something, but the, the main dialogue has to happen as in-person as possible. I agree. So, Rosie, we're all going to come across those people who are just negative. That's who they are. I had a grandmother that way. She was the most unhappy person in the world. I avoided her most of my life. I knew very early on that she was not somebody I wanted to be around or emulate. But those people exist. How do we deal with them? Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. <laughs> yes. Um, I agree. I mean, no Christmas card list for you. You're cut off. <laughs> no, no soup for you. Yeah. Um, but for real, it's boundaries because here's the thing. We, we have a choice of who we spend time with and who we give our energy to. And, you know, when there's those people that, like, are energy suckers and they, they're negative and they suck the life out of you, you have a choice of how much energy you give them, how much time you give them. And so boundaries become really important. And it could be, you know, that you're going to limit the amount of time or say, hey, I've only got five minutes. Or, you know, you can say, it depends on, you know, who it is. But if they're just constantly negative, you can say, look, I can love you more from afar because your energy just like sucks the light out of my day, right? It takes the wind out of my sails. Um, And you just know those people that you have to like love them from a distance because no matter how much coaching or counseling or work they do on themselves, that's just that's kind of how they are, well, then you can't change other people. You have a choice, right? How much, how much do I spend, you know, how much am I around that person? So that, that's, that's where I go with that. And I've had some of those in my life where there's people like, gosh, I'm noticing they're just like when I'm around them, I feel gloomy. I feel drained. It's like, I don't know, wasn't there like a once upon a time there was like a, I don't know if it was a Jimmy Dean, it was some kind of commercial and here's like the cloud, right? <laughs> and he's raining and here's the sun. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't, not that life is all, unicorns and rainbows like we don't want toxic positivity and there's times where things are hard and there's times where you need to vent and there's times that you're mad but that's different than somebody who is chronically just you know the world isn't even a half full glass it's like you know a depleted glass and that everything that comes out of their mouth is like that Debbie Downer on um, SNL Uh, when I look at that it's just like yeah nope I'm I'm not going to give you my energy because it's just it's life's too short yeah I learned that as a young child it's like you know I can't bear to be around you I don't care whose grandmother you are I really could not bear to be around this woman and she wasn't a bad woman she was just wretched and that it just flowed from her and everybody around her would just get quiet and sullen and me I'd go outside and 
hang around in the backyard. And listen, uh, you know, I am so white. You could probably call me curdled milk. That's about what I look like. I like to say I have a peaches and cream. <laughs> I like to say I have a peaches and cream complexion. It's more like curdled milk on most days. When she was around, I was outside getting sunburned because I could not take her energy. I just couldn't. So it was a very early lesson for me what I was willing to accept and what I wasn't and who I did not want to be. So I thank her for that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And there's a great TED Talk, and I'm going to forget her last name now. It's Marissa something or other. She's a psychologist from the U.K., and she has this TED Talk that's about, like, not taking it in, right, that people who, you know, give nasty comments or, you know, say things like that, you know, we don't need to take some of that um, that in. And, again, it goes back to boundaries or, you know, or if you want to get really juvenile about it, the old um, – I'm rubber, your glue, whatever you say. Right, right. It's crazy, but you know the thing is, we can talk about our childhood, which I've been doing, but that follows through for the rest of our lives if we're not aware and if we don't say, you know, maybe this isn't really working for me. Maybe I need to just honestly, I wish more people would do this. Sit down, shut up, and listen. I think that's the biggest form of communication you can offer. Absolutely. In fact, you, whenever I'm asked to do a, a workshop or, or development around communication, I never go right to communication. We always start with self-awareness work, first of all, because how we show up in any interaction um, is going to be a direct result of our level of, you know, uh, Oh, self-awareness, emotional intelligence, do we know if we're in a good spot or not, you know, all of those types of things. And then we do a whole section on how to listen and truly listen to understand and listen to be curious versus what we most typically do, which is listening to reply. And, and how do we really listen in a much more effective, connected human way? Because it's a core human need to feel like we are heard and seen and that we matter. And then we will go into the then actual mechanics of now let's talk about how do we um, with the words we say and how we deliver messages and how we, you know, enter into various types of conversations. So, yeah, I think that listening is, is such a key thing. And you said something else that's really, I think, important, Denise, and I can't remember if we talked about this in our previous conversations because we talked about so many awesome things. But when you talked about, you know, childhood, here's the thing, and not to get too deep into the psychology of it, but the reality is, is that as human beings, we make sense of our experiences through language and through stories. Like we are story-creating creatures. And so in the absence of data, our brains fill it in with story. So if you think about when you're six years old or you're 10 years old, what, what level of wisdom and knowledge and even brain and cognitive development do you have at that stage of life? It's pretty limited, right? And everything in those formative years is about love, acceptance, and belonging. And so you could have that somebody looks at you funny and you can create a narrative of, oh, that's bad, or me standing out is not a good thing, or I should be quiet, or I should shrink myself, or, you know, you got in trouble for whatever, and then you create a, oh, you know, I'm a bad person if I don't, you know, if I'm not perfect. Or there's just all kinds of narratives, and we all do it. This is going back to my, you know, normalizing humanity. And when you said we, if we're not careful, we bring it into adulthood, I would challenge that and say we all bring it into adulthood until we actually do the work to recognize that 90% of the time our 5-year-old or 10-year-old self is actually the one that's driving our car, so to speak. And if until we do the work to recognize what are those scripts and rules that I created for myself in childhood that 
maybe were necessary at the time that kept me safe, that maybe felt very real, felt important. And, but now that I'm into an adult, that script is actually still like that underlying operating system, if you will, that's guiding my actions and behaviors probably far more than I realize. And so it's how do we start to rewrite that story and poke holes in the validity or truth of that story or narrative or rule you created for yourself back when you were five or back when you were 10 and help your brain in adult version self-realize you don't need to hold on to that story anymore. You don't need to hold on to that operating system anymore. Um, and, and again, that's part of that messy work that, that we do in coaching um, with people. And so I just think it's super important to recognize that whether we had a happy childhood or not, it shapes us and it shapes how it's the filter we see the world. And so if we want to have different experiences or different outcomes, we do have to start to really look those, um, those inner narratives. I am so glad you explained it that way because I honestly never really thought about going back and poking holes. The same grandmother, God bless her, she is the reason, seriously, why there are no pictures of me on the Internet. I was completely traumatized by her at five years old, and it wasn't anything she meant to do. But, you know, they, they were coming to visit, and my mom stuck us all in the bathtub. We'd been out in the backyard and she stuck all five of us in the bathtub. That's not fun. And we were, you know, dirty and crabby and crowded in this bathtub. And here comes my grandmother with her little camera. And she kept taking pictures. We were naked. I was old enough to know mm. I was uncomfortable. And I remember pleading with her, please stop, please stop. And she wouldn't. And I was completely powerless. I've never gotten over that. And I'm still mad about it. And I still don't allow my picture to be taken. <laughs> Thank you, Granny. But... You know, the, yeah. I guess I need to revisit that and say, well, do I still need to hang on to that? I mean, I've done it for so long now that, you know, I can, my head can whip around if I even think a camera's pointing at me and I can be gone. All you're going to see of me is ass and elbows, excuse the language, but <laughs> that's just the way it is. <laughs> but my granny, now that I think about it, my granny has a lot to answer for. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, so here's the thing. I mean, not to get, you know, too, too, too in the weeds here, but when I say that, I'm like, well, yeah, of course. Uh, when, if that happened to you, even if that was just a one-time experience that's traumatizing as a kid, and here's the thing, then every time there's, hey, can we get a headshot? Hey, can we take a picture? You don't even realize it, but unconsciously your five-year-old self back in that tub, what the heck is like, nope, not happening. And it takes over. And that that's how we work. That's how our armor that's how our self-protective mechanisms it's all i want to be really really clear this is all unconscious like our brains spend an enormous amount of energy like behind the scenes wizard behind the curtain unconsciously to try to keep us safe like that's part of our brain's job and so when there's a perceived threat that our brain thinks oh you know danger danger will robinson i'm going to protect you so as an example oh camera equals threat equals grandma equals vulnerable equals not okay and and it's it's this autumn it's literally we call it the amygdala hijack but it's this automatic response that we have in the interest of self-protection so if we're going to show up as braver leaders in our life if we're going to be more courageous if we're going to be more connected and this doesn't i'm not saying that oh now you need to go get your picture taken but we but we start to look at the different areas where we have a visceral response and maybe we don't know why or we get in our own way and we don't really know why or we take two steps forward and three steps back and why is it that this particular goal or this particular area is important to me but i can't quite seem to do it it just feels too risky or too scary 
those are opportunities to really look at how could I wait in the messy middle because I guarantee you there's something there that might be very unconscious at the moment that, um, and again, it doesn't have to be completely traumatic. It can be mildly traumatic. It can be anything in between because our brains as a kid, we don't know how to make sense of the world. So here, let me give you a really benign example. So, uh, and this is a true story. So there was uh, a woman that was being coached and she realized because it was like she wanted to speak up more and she wanted to have her voice be heard more. And she kept getting feedback at work that, you know, we want to hear more from you or you're too reserved or when you speak up, it's not clear. And as she started to really look at what was kind of this unconscious thing that kept holding her back, and it wasn't even a traumatic thing. It was, she was in a grocery store, like three, four years old with her mom, and looks over and sees another woman in the produce area who, you know, had a birth defect deformity where one of her limbs, one of her arms wasn't fully formed, right? So like didn't, didn't look like a quote unquote normal person's arm. And very innocently, because kids are curious. Right. Um, um, and, and then this woman also, I believe, had a had an eye patch is what it was because something going on. And so very innocently, this girl goes up to the woman and is like, hey, are you a pirate? <laughs> and it's such an innocent thing that a kid would do. And and the mom like freaks out and is like, no, we don't say that. We don't ask those things. We don't ask, like we don't like that's like don't do that. And oh. she's like, she's like, right. And then and it was something like and then I think she asked a question like something like, does she have potato arms or something? And again, think about a kid. You're so innocent. And what do you know? You know about potatoes. You know about pirates. Like your world is so limited at that age. And you're asking questions to be curious. And she gets this <gasps> from her mom. And the woman probably gets it all the time and probably thought it was cute. But that stuck with her. And now what she started to realize is every time she thought about speaking up, she had this script that she had created unbeknownst to her at like three or four of speaking up means bad. Speaking up means that you're not being considerate of others. Speaking up is the wrong thing to do. And so by starting to go back and realize that was an isolated incident, right? Or like even with you, that was an isolated incident or incidents with your grandma and you're not five anymore and your grandma's not here anymore. Like we don't need to let those scripts continue to run the show when we're an adult, if that makes any sense to you. It does. It really does. And I get the little girl. I I love you keep using the word curiosity and kids are curious. Adults, I think we're not curious enough. We should be more curious. It's one of my favorite words, but I have to go back to my poor granny. God bless her. What I experienced that day was pure unadulted rage. At five years old, you should not be experiencing that. But I was helpless. Yeah. Yeah. I was helpless at the hands of an adult. She didn't do anything wrong. She didn't think she was doing anything wrong. And she has no idea what, you know, road she put me on. But it was rage. And I, you know, I still, when I go back and think about it, my stomach starts hurting because I was really ticked off. Yeah, absolutely. Who wouldn't be, right? And so, and so I think that, um, and so here, you know, so it's interesting because here's the thing where, um, and everyone's different, but, and, you know, it depends on what's happened and, and everything. But what I, what I do with my coaching clients and the people I'm working with is when they have something that's still really, you know, all this time later has an emotional response to them, there's other things that we can do. We, we run little tests in other ways. Like, okay, what if you let somebody um, take a picture of you and it doesn't even have to be posted on the internet and, you know, and like, d- does the world fall apart? Right. Like, you know, so you can look at like, what's the story you create about. Um, right. And, and then granted there was more than just the picture. It was, you know, feeling violated and not heard and whatever. Right. And so it's like, okay, 
is that, you know, my voice doesn't matter and that I'm not safe and that, you know what, if I let myself be seen, that I'm going to be taken advantage of. Like, there's all kinds of scripts and narratives that can stem from one simple act. Like, I sit there and I go, my son's 11. And, you know, we try to put our kids in a bubble, but I'm like, oh, crap, that's going to probably come back and be some script we're going to have to rewrite later. Like, it's inevitable, right? You know, something happens at school. It doesn't even have to, you know, it's just, this is life. And so, um, and so I think just being really, really mindful of that. And, you know, I've had people who, you know, I've had them write a letter to their younger self. I've had them write a letter to a, you know, somebody who's passed to just kind of like get closure and process some of that stuff um, because it will, we'll, we'll take it with us. And, Sometimes um, we need to for reasons, and then sometimes there's times it's time to let it go, and it, because it's like we're carrying it around as armor, like a 20-ton shield, and it gets really heavy, and it, it we hit a point where it keeps us from moving forward. And so, and again, no two situations are the same. And so, but I think that this messy middle work that we all can do is first and foremost to look at, you know, who am I wanting to be in my life? What what am I wanting to experience? What you know, what things am I wanting for myself? What I want my relationships to look like? And then look at, as you envision that future, and some people honestly can't even envision that future. That by itself is scary. But just to look at whatever it is, and maybe it's just I want to be better at speaking up. I want to be better at setting boundaries. I want to be better at whatever. But when you look at what is it that you want to be better at, that you feel like you're missing out on or is holding you back in life, and then start to go, okay, well, why isn't that your experience? Why are you holding yourself back? Um, and, and if there's some kind of emotional level of discomfort, there's, there's a window there to start to get curious. There's your word and to start to really look at where is this, um, anxiousness or where is this concern or where is this feeling of risk coming from? And my guess is if you start to look back enough, you'll find it. Yes. And with your book, I've been doing a lot of that just, you know, because you've got some great exercises and I've got two questions. I'm going to tell you what they are and we can you know pick the one that you want to deal with first for you know i wanted to know could you give us some examples of the mindfulness activities that you work with with your people and the other one is i really wanted to go back to you're talking about the messy middle we talked about that a lot in our our last podcast and i wanted to touch on that so people go well, what are they talking about what's the messy middle you know what does that mean so pick your poison and go <laughs> I think we can talk about both. So here's the plug. Go back go back and listen to the other podcast and two, yes, get the book. Yeah. So I would say, you know, here <laughs> So here's what's interesting. Um so so mindfulness. You know, when you talk about having like reactions, I don't know what it is about the the word um, mindfulness, but to me when and I know there's so much research out there and there's so much value and people who meditate and whatnot. And for me, every time I think of mindfulness, like I used to teach yoga and teach people how to teach yoga. I used to teach Pilates and teach people how to teach Pilates. And it just always moves like too slow for me. And I think that when I think mindfulness, I think about, you know, like sitting completely still, which just, I think you and I talked, my brain's not wired that way. And it feels very woo woo to me. And I don't, I don't dismiss anyone else, but for me, it's like what I learned when I shifted the language for myself, from mindfulness to presencing or being present. To me, that feels, it's just like, okay, let's talk about presencing work <laughs> because mindfulness just feels whatever. So whatever your word is, I just want to put that out there. If you're a person like me that for whatever reason has some kind of reaction to mindfulness and it feels too out there, presencing or being present or whatever is, is another, another way. And so one of the things that I actually will do, especially when people are feeling anxious, and I'll do this for myself, um, is I'll just invite them to close their eyes 
and, you know, take a few deep breaths. And then I invite them, depending on what we're talking about, but let's say it's like, okay, you're anxious about a situation, you know, what, how would you ultimately like to feel in the situation? Would you rather be more calm or would you want to be grounded or would you want to be like courageous or whatever? And so just starting to kind of like, like what's the quality that you're wanting to experience in this moment? And then when you get clear about that, then it's like starting to surround yourself with it. Okay, so let's just say that it is calm and courage. Okay, so now I want you to imagine as you're sitting there, take a deep breath and feel courage and calm all along the left side of your body. And then now do that along the right side of your body. And now do that above you and, and beneath you and now within you. And this takes all of a couple of minutes. And it's just taking a deep breath and like visualizing whatever, courage and calm. And, and it's all around you. And within that moment, people just like in that two minutes of presencing, of just kind of getting clear of what they want and then intentionally surrounding themselves with those qualities, they're like, oh, and all of a sudden, like they open their eyes. And in this example, they feel calm. They're sitting taller. They're like, yeah. And, and I'm like, if you start doing that, you know, when you have to go into a difficult situation or a difficult conversation, eventually you will train your mind where you can literally say, okay, courage and calm all around me right now. Boom, I'm grounded. I'm going into that conversation. And so that's one of the ones is just really, really simple. I mean, obviously there's meditation and there's deep breathing and whatnot, but for me, it's really, I'm just like, take some deep breaths. I'm a visualization person. Visualize some qualities around me. Visualize what I want for myself. It helps my calm my brain because I have to focus on something. And so um, that's one of the ones that I like to use of just helping people connect with what they want um, and help calm that swirl of the brain that might be going anywhere else but what they want for themselves. And see, that makes perfect sense to me. I can't meditate. If I even try, the moment I get still, I fall over and I start drooling or I start making my Thanksgiving (laughs) grocery list. Even if Thanksgiving was last week, I know it in my head. I can do it, you know, by rote. And for some reason, it's very comforting to me. But you know what I do when I... and. I don't know why I'm outing myself all day here today, but when I'm getting ready to get on the podcast, I don't get nervous, but you know, I want to get, you know, I want to come up and show up as strong and interested and interesting. And, you know, I want to be the best me I can be and I want to bring out the best you that I can. So I will, you know, take some deep breaths and I'll say, okay, Denise, you got this. And then I pop up out of my chair and I do my wonder woman pose. And then I start talking to you. <laughs> so there you have it. <laughs> so it I works. love it. Well, and there is, well, it, you know, it does. And here's, here, here's the thing, and it can be really as simple as that. Or one of the exercises that I use in workshops I do, and it, it's, it's from actually Brene Brown's Dare to Lead book and her work, but it was we do permission slips. Just like take literally 30 oh. seconds and what are all the permissions. So like I'll, usually, I'll, do, I'll have people put it on post-it notes. But, you know, if we're going to have an hour-long session or a meeting, so it doesn't even have to be like a, a work, it's like, hey, in this meeting or in this conversation, let's quick do permission slips because you've been running around, your day is hectic, who knows what's going on in your life. And, it, and basically it's what do you want to give yourself permission to do, to feel, or to let go of so that you can lean in, be fully present, and get the most out of our time together. Right? And so, so it's, it's, it's a way of intention setting. But sometimes it's like, you know what? I need to give myself permission to shut off the thing that just happened 
and, and give myself permission to be focused here for this hour. I need to give myself permission to not worry about what's happening later today. I need to give myself permission to shut off my email notifications or silence my phone. I need to give myself um, permission to be curious or to be vulnerable. I need to give myself permission to feel anxious. I need to give myself permission to ask for what I need, right? So it's a way of just really setting intention of how you're going to show up. And it's such a simple exercise, but it is so powerful because we are running around reactive and on autopilot most of our day. And when people like give themselves that permission, it calms their brain down so they can focus on whatever the person or task or experience at hand is rather than having their mind distracted in 50 other ways. So that's another kind of really tangible, simple tool that you can use that helps you get present, if you will. I love that, and I never even thought about that. You know, some, and this kind of goes back to what you just said about, you know, you have to ask what you need. I do ask, but you know what I do? I do it out loud. I'm talking to the universe. I'm talking to whoever is listening to me, my guardian angels. I have a guardian angel that I have named Jeeves. He travels in the car with me. You know, I welcome him every time I get, come on, Jeeves, let's go. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so, and Jeeves always gets me where I need to be, and I get back home, and I always say, okay, I'm going this way, because I get lost. Like, I fight with my navigation system. She is not the boss of me. And I tend to get lost, really, really lost. So I'll say, okay, this is where I want to go. You know, I would like to have good parking. I would like for my car to run beautifully, my tires to stay inflated, and the local constabulary to not see me doing anything at all and then off I go and Chiefs always keeps me safe I'm telling you it works <laughs> is that like ask Jeeves wasn't that like one of the early yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving away my nerd but yes that's exactly right so, but, but I'm really not insane y'all I'm really not I just have a very active imagination but I'm like you I visualize things and I may do it if I'm just going to Rouse's, the grocery store, you know, I'm just, I'm already visualizing where I'm going to go, where the stuff is. I, I'm there. I'm already there. And then I get in my car. I go home. I come back home. Everything was great. I'm safe and happy and got everything I wanted. I visualize everything. And I say it out loud a lot. But I live alone. I can get by with that. I'm talking to the cupboards. I'm talking to the cat. I'm talking to myself. I'm basically asking the universe for what it is that I need or I want. And you know what? Almost always it shows up. Almost always. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole. You know. You you put it out there. And I. And here's the thing is, you know, I love that you're you're saying it out loud and asking for what you need. Because here's the thing, is that. There also is something to be said for hearing our own voice, even if we don't like the sound of our own voice, hearing I our don't. own voice. <laughs> I hate the sound of my voice. Yeah. I think I'm going to sing happy birthday, Mr. President. I think I sound ridiculous. And instead you come out sounding like Alvin and the Chipmunks, right? Yeah, it's like how I, how I want to sound or how I think I sound, how I really sound. Yeah. Um, but, but, but really it's, then this is where, like, the value of having a, a, a trusted mentor or a coach or thought partner is so valuable because when we think words in our head, right, it sounds one way or whatever, but when it comes out of our mouth, there's something about holy moly. And so I hear this over and over and over when, you know, I'm coaching people or having conversations, and I'm like, I, can you repeat that? And what would you just hear yourself say? And they're like, oh, like, 
there's a different reaction when it literally, again, it's kind of this whole body experience. And so I think there's something to be said for speaking some of those things out loud and noticing, you know, oh my gosh, like that sounds absolutely off the wall or wow, that was really great. And so there is something to be said for moving it from the thoughts from in our head to speaking out loud. And it's even different than like for people who journal. I mean, journaling is really another, you talk about mindfulness, journaling is another presencing activity, reflective activity, right? Um, and there's something to be said for also saying things out loud. And so I think that we, we can't underestimate that because we really do connect with something on a different level. I mean, if I had, I don't know, if I had a dollar for every person I've heard say, whoa, like to hear my own mouth say it, like that comes across very differently. It, it, it awakens something. So I, I think there's something to it. There is. And the thing, if you're just kind of speaking to yourself internally in your head, it's messy in there. I've got a very messy brain. It's busy. It's active. It's tired. It's happy. There's a lot going on. But if I pick a thread and I say it out loud, I have to concentrate on what I'm saying. And really, that's why I started doing it, because it's a way to pick out, you know, the big ball of yarn. You have to find that one thread and pull on it. Speaking it out loud gives yep. me that opportunity to pull on that one thread and concentrate on that. Yeah, you're right. Otherwise, your head's like, what was that uh, movie, Inside Out, right? There are all these different emotions and stuff going around. And, uh, but, yeah, but the, that there's something. You can only say one word at a time, right? So it, right. Does, it, it, it right. can help you. It can help you. And even if yeah, you think about does. some of, like, the like the um whether you would call them a mantra or chant that goes along with whether it's you know certain whether it's yoga practices or other mindfulness practices where they might sit there and say om or other things part of it is again it's the sound of our voice and it's the focusing on something so that it, it does really help focus so there you go i find go that it does <laughs> i do <laughs> you know i like myself i have great conversations with myself i'm a brilliant conversationist just ask me you know it's just And, you know, it's hard for me to get bored. So there you have that. But we're we're talking, here we go again. We've only got about 18 minutes left, and we're still just kind of chattering up a storm here. But I think you're giving us a lot, a lot of opportunity to think about things Mm -hmm. and figure out what it is that we're doing, how we can really be helpful to ourselves. Because let's face it, if you can't help yourself, how in the world are you supposed to be helping other people? And we are supposed to be helping other people. We're not, what is, what was that silly um, song? My, somebody used to sing it all the time and I hated it. I'm not a rock. I'm not, I can't remember what it was. It was I hated it. Um, now, <laughs> see, now it's going to be in my head all day. I'm not a rock. I'm not an, uh, anyway, <laughs> darn it. <laughs> so, I just went Those off on it. Ah, no. Yeah. <laughs> But the thing is, we are supposed to help other people, whether it's just opening the door when you get to the grocery store, although those do open on their own now. But, you know, just we're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to help ourselves. And we're not, if we're not being mindful, there's that word, about how we show up mostly to ourselves. I'm not sure how much good we are to other people. A hundred percent. And in fact, you know, I think I actually just did a, a social media post this morning because I was like, my first meeting this morning was actually with me and it was going to a Pilates class and I haven't gone to one in a long time. I've done other workouts and stuff. And it was like, you know, I've just been having one of those weeks. And um, and self-care for me can look like going to bed early. It can look like spending uninterrupted time with my family. It can be, you know, my workouts. There's a lot of things that go into self-care. And 
I think that when we're stressed, when life is challenging, it's so easy for our self-care practices, whatever those are for us, to go out the window. And, you know, it's that old saying that you have to secure your own oxygen mask before helping others. And some, sometimes people have this narrative that, you know, it's selfish to, you know, take care of myself first. But just what you were saying, Denise, what I keep saying is, and I remind myself is that, I am not going to show up as the person I want to be in this world. I am not going to be a a patient, effective, curious parent, spouse, friend, leader, coach, team member, the list goes on and on when I'm depleted. Because when I'm depleted, I'm irritable, I'm crabby, I'm judgmental, I'm in a bubble, I'm head down. Like it's it's a different version of me. And I know that. And, and, And I accept both parts of me, but it's knowing that, what do I need so that the version of me that I want to show up more often than not in this world has a chance to show up? And there's ingredients, there's things I have to tend to for that, for that to happen. And so I think that, you know, one of the exercises, and I think we have it in the book as well, that we have people do that is so simple but so powerful for so many people is we call it ingredients to be my best. Like who are you when you're at your best? I'm at my best when I've got a good, had a good night's sleep. I'm at my best when – I have quality opportunities to connect with other people. I'm at my best when I have uh, time to think and learn and grow and be creative, when my brain's fired up. I'm at my best when I've had a good workout. I'm at my best when, you know, fill in the blank. And, and so then you look at, okay, well, then what are the ingredients that increase the likelihood that that version of me can happen? Well, it might mean I have to, you know, be mindful of how I schedule my calendar. It might mean I need to put my phone away when I'm with my family. It might mean that I need to go to bed at a certain time. Like you start really getting intentional about setting yourself up for success versus leaving it to chance. And every time I do this exercise, it never fails with people. I'll ask them, for how many of you is this the first time either ever or in a long time you've actually thought about this? And almost every single hand will go up. Um, and I will tell you, I've revisited that exercise multiple times over the past two years because with the ebbs and flows of this crazy world we're living in, um, what I need to be my best might be very different. Um, you know, there's there were some challenges going on with my mom's health recently, and it was like, okay, that needs to be my focus, so I needed to readjust. What do I need to be my best to get through this difficult time? What do I need to be my best to get through X, Y, Z time? And so being able to really nurture that is so important. And so I, if there's one thing I can impart is like self-care is not selfish. Self-care is critical. And in fact, the most effective people and the most effective leaders in their lives are highly boundaried. And part of those boundaries are around self-care. And so if we can so shift we that narrative around it, it's, it's just, it's so, so important because we are not good to anybody. I don't care what story you try to tell yourself, what lie you try to tell yourself, if you really get honest, you are not showing up as the person that you probably want to be when you're, when you're depleted. And so you need to figure out what that is for you because no two people are the same. And see, this is at this moment my favorite part of the podcast because, look, we're all guilty of it. I mean, we do need to set those boundaries and practice self-compassion and self-care. And you say they're not nice to have. They're essential, and I believe you. And Something you were saying earlier had me going, yeah, you know, once you kind of, you're depleted and you start down that, oh, I'm having a bad day. Oh, woe is me. Everybody hates me. Me, me, me. That is kind of self-perpetuating if you don't get a grip and you're telling us how to get a grip. Yep. 
Yeah, and you know what? Yeah, you're right. Here's the thing. We do all do it. And so the key is, this goes back to, like, that messy middle work of knowing yourself. Like, do you, do you know the signs and signals, both in your body as well as in your brain and your narrative and how you show up that tell you, oops, right, I'm going down that rabbit hole or this version of me, the 10-year-old, ver- the 10-year-old version of me is hijacking right now or whatever, where you can, we can catch ourselves sooner and kind of hit that pause button and go, okay, what do I need now, right now to reset? What do I need right now to, like, regroup? Um, and it might mean i got to look at my calendar and move some stuff around because this isn't going to work, or it might mean that I need to – whatever it might be. And so I think, you know, it's catching ourselves sooner when our humanity gets the best of us because we – it still does. Make no mistake. Like, the most enlightened of us, we're all on this journey, like, constantly, like – it, there's n- I, you don't arrive and check the box. Oop, I'm done. Like it's not how this works. And so oh, darn it! See, I was I just know, waiting for you to give me permission to be the best me I can be <laughs> whenever I feel like it. But no. <laughs> Damn it, Janet. Yeah, it's selective. Oh, no. no. Well, and here's, but here's the thing, though. And, and I want to be clear. Like there are some days that like you just can't. And this is what we we teach in our workshop. We say, okay, if you have those days, we call it, we we leadership group and talk about being above or below the line and what it says those days that you're stuck below the line like there isn't a trampoline in the universe large enough to spring you back above that line like you're in an abyss then you know what give yourself some grace acknowledge your humanity and then look at what do I need to give myself permission to be below the line today but do in a protective bubble and what I mean by that is first of all you don't make major life decisions when you're in that state Second, you do not have important conversations when you're in that state because you're not thinking clearly. Third, maybe you need some extra self-care. Like you need to like give yourself permission to feel the ickiness. Like because uh, Mark Brackett, I think, said this, but you know, unfelt feelings are not benign, right? They will metastasize. So we all have days oh, where we just want to like say go that into again. the corner. Rosie, say that, that again. That was important. Feelings, yeah, unfelt feelings are not benign they will metastasize wow yeah and so sometimes you know what if we have a day where I, I need to go suck my thumb in the corner in the fetal position and you know like just let it out like then then do so right and I think we we're gonna have those days and if we expect that we're not going to that's problematic too and so I just think it's what do we do on those days Right. And how do we show up in those days? And are we reaching out for support? I mean, this is mental health awareness month. Like if we're having one of those days, we reach out, right. We reach out to people, you know, just, you know, we don't have to go it alone either. And so I just, I think that we have to start to own our own humanity and, and then have the tools to be able to ask for what we need when we're struggling or ask for what we need when we, you know, need help. Um, and not have a narrative that there's something wrong. We need to be able to rally our resourcefulness when we can. We need to set healthy boundaries. And again, none of this is easy, but the more we do that work, the more we get to know ourselves, the more we wait in the messy middle, you know, plug for the book. We have a ton of tools in this book that are like our golden goose that we do in all of our workshops and our coaching. Use them. That's why we put them in the book. You know, if, if it helps one other person, you know, any of those to go, hey, I can, you know, get out of my own way, you know, so be it. And I just think that this journey we're on, um, our world's not going to get less complex. So we have to look at how do we need to evolve and adapt so that we can function and thrive, hopefully, um, despite the knowns and unknowns that this world's going to throw at us. 
Well, and it's always going to do that. And listen, I don't believe in being miserable. I just, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to go, well, I think I'm going to empty out my bank account and go buy a Mercedes. I'm not going to do it. But here's the thing. I mean, we can pay attention to what's going on. We can make those changes. We can do that work. And I know a lot of people work. No, I don't want to do any work. But you have to. You have to. You have to work on yourself. And, you know, it's always, oh, I heard this the other day from somebody. Yeah, my husband this, my husband that. And all I could think was, why are you married to this man? If you're that miserable and if he's probably just as miserable around you, neither of you is going to do any work to fix this. Why don't you just kind of go in different directions? I actually did say that. But, you know, we have to be aware of what we're willing to accept from ourselves. And if we're willing to be miserable or passive or angry or irritable all of the time, that's kind of your own fault, isn't it? Yeah, you know, once upon a time, I remember um speaker, and I don't even remember his name at this point, but it always stuck with me. And he said, you know, bad stuff will happen to us, but we need to make no mistake that misery is a choice. And and, I, and that has always stuck with me. And and then and another thing that's always stuck with me is once upon a time in one of my coach trainings, it was like you were talking about someone was interacting with a facilitator and, you know, woe is me and all this different stuff. And she just challenged her and said, I'm going to tell you something that you might not want to hear, but sounds to me like you're basically, you're comfortable standing in sewage. And, and, and then look at you. Oh, I'm borrowing that. It's comfortable. I, ju- I just stole yeah. it. I took you're, it. It's mine now. <laughs> take it. Take it. But, and, and my husband and I have used that periodically, like in our, in our lives of, because here's the thing, it seems counterintuitive, but the reality is that our brains are hardwired to seek out familiarity and to seek out comfort. And this is why we repeat patterns, even if it's not good for us. This is why people will maybe not leave bad situations because the scary and uncertainty of the unknown feels more risky to them than what it's going to take to make the change to get out of their current situation. And so we get comfortable standing in sewage. We get comfortable accepting the status quo. We get comfortable and apathetic of it is what it is, rather than assuming that we can demand more for ourselves, that we can, um, that we deserve, right, a better life. And so, um, so anyway, for whatever that's worth, misery is a choice, and we need to recognize when we're getting a little too comfortable standing in sewage, and again, go, what if there was more? What if this wasn't all there was? And I would, I would suggest that, you know, I coach so many people and help them get out of that sewage. And it's so awesomely rewarding to watch them get out of their own way and get out of that sewage. And they're like, they didn't realize how much they were stuck. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you. And I love that. I actually wrote that down. And I mean, I have used the term high chair fits because I've seen adults just having high chair fits and throwing their bananas off the tree. It's like, dude, really? Really? And I don't stick around for the, you know, the encore. I've already had enough. But it's just, it's interesting to me that we need to teach ourselves how to be happy, how to be in touch with ourselves, how to pay attention to what we're doing to and with ourselves. You would think that it would be, you know, just perfectly natural that we would just know everything. We knew everything at 17. What happened? How come we don't know anything now? <laughs> so, but we don't. We don't know what we're what we're capable of, and it's time to learn that. 
Absolutely. And I think that we're always learning and growing and the world is always learning and growing. And so I think, you know, we learn more, you know, science teaches us more. We learn more about ourselves as, as we grow. We're a different person than we were when we were 17. And so I think, you know, we talk about having this learner mindset. And I think if we recognize that we can always learn, we can always grow, there's something new, you know, new circumstances teach us something. And, you know, the, the other thing is, you know, just to kind of keep this theme of the messy middle is, as, as hard as it is, and I wish there was a fast forward button, but if you think about any time in your life when you've had um, profound learning, profound growth, profound transformation, even had relationships get stronger, it wasn't because things were all unicorn and rainbows. It's the tough stuff that we go through that teaches us what we're capable of. It teaches us new things, strengthens relationships. And so we have to stop avoiding those. We have to get, we have to stop being comfortable standing in sewage and lean into the discomfort a little bit more because that, that that's the path through to the other side to something um, better, more connected, um, that, that we don't know what's waiting for us because we're afraid to kind of wade through that messy metal. I agree. I have to ask you this just out of mild curiosity. You, you do a lot of coaching. You have groups that you work with. What's kind of the most common thing that you're hearing right now? I guess we're coming out of COVID if we're allowed to. Yeah, there's been a lot of just deeply disturbing changes that have happened politically, globally, health-wise in in our lives. And what are you hearing that people are the most concerned about right now? There's a few things. From from an individual level, I think people are just tired, um, you know, trying to discern, am I actually burnt out or am I just stressed? But they're just, like, emotionally exhausted and how to process that and how to deal with that and how to, like, find a path forward when that that's happening. A lot of people are um, wrestling with setting new boundaries, changing relationships and stuff like the re reevaluation of what's important. And then how do I deal with that? How do I deal with the fallout of some of that? How do I navigate that um, on a collective level, on an organizational level that feeds into it as well. Like we know our people are tired. We know that they need something different. Um, and then what I'm hearing, and this is, feeds into the consulting side of our businesses, like our people leaders are not equipped to lead people through this, um, or you know, it, it's a different it's a different ball game that we have to really start to recognize that we are not rational thinking beings who sometimes feel and emote. We are emotional feeling beings who sometimes happen to think, and so it's really no. about how it's really about how do we start to um, individually and collectively, you know, beyond let's talk about emotional and mental health. It's really how do we help people better. Um, name, process, and deal with the emotions because the last couple of years have been really emotionally charged, and and th- we've got to be able to lean in and deal with that versus like, oh, yep, yep, click the box, flip a switch, we're going back to quote-unquote normal, like, no. And so it, it, we have to be able to help process and help people move through that, and that those are the biggest things that, that we've been supporting people with, and those are the biggest conversations that I'm hearing um, that people are either leaning into or struggling with or worried about, but it's becoming kind of like that elephant in the room. If we don't, um, we're going to, we're going to get stuck. I agree. And we're seeing an awful lot of anger in the world. And I understand a lot of it, but it's just, you know, every day is a new day. You have to choose how you're going to react to it and react. Well, you have to react every single moment. So People need to understand that we're always reacting, but we can dig deep and say, is this the right reaction? Should I do this? Should I not do this? Sometimes it's just, let's go back to this again, sit down and shut up. And I mean, I'm talking to myself, 
sit down and shut up. Figure out what's going on before you make a stupid decision. Right. I think if we all learn to pause, right, sit down, shut up, or, you know, right. pause, and really um, – and I, I always say, like, that's the biggest muscle that we can build is the muscle to pause. Pause before we react, pause before we speak, pause before we take action. It doesn't have to be in an hour meditative state. We're talking pause a few seconds and just take a deep breath and kind of go, do you always have to react on your first thought? Because our first thought is usually run by our 5- or 10-year-old self. And when we pause, we create a space in our brain for another thought to to emerge and to kind of go, hmm. Does that make sense? How else could I show up here? So I think the most effective people move off of that reactivity and have thoughtfulness because they've built that muscle to pause. I love that. Rosie, thank you. It has been, thank you for coming back. I really appreciate you coming back to kind of expand on what we were were chatting about the last time. And I really encourage our audience to go back and find that. The link is in the show notes. And um, basically we were talking about the five rehumanizing principles, which is also the name of the book. So where can people find you before I let you go? They can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can follow me, uh, Rosie Ward. You can find me on Twitter is Dr. Rosie. And then you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, which is Dr. Rosie Ward. Um, my website is drrosieward.com. And then our company website is salveopartners.com. And I just lied to the audience. That is not the name of the book. The name of the book is Rehumanizing the Workplace. So go find that book. It's on Amazon. Seriously, make it part of your library. Before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes and anywhere else you consume your business podcast. Honestly, you can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting us. So just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Rosie, thank you. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.